You're listening to Steel Salary Cap Fantasy Football. The one and only podcast dedicated to providing analysis, advice, and entertainment for salary cap fantasy football players. Now, here are your hosts, Tim Kennedy, Farhan Hassan, and Sean McGuire. Gather round, everybody. It is time once again for the Steel Salary Cap Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Tim Kennedy. I'm here with Sean McGuire. Hello. And we have a special guest today on the show. We have Dr. Bjorn Westgard. So special. Bjorn is a good friend of ours and also an emergency room doctor. Uh, ER docs see a lot of sports injuries and can specialize in sports medicine. Um, and so we decided to have Bjorn on the show today to talk about sports injuries. How you doing, Bjorn? I'm doing quite well, thank you. I should uh, also tell you, we've, we've been recording outside, of course, because of COVID. We're outside again today. Actually, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is this considered outside? That's true. We're on a screened porch. We are uh, in Ely, Minnesota at a family camp. Yes. Um, we are on the beach. Lake Burnside. Yes. Burnside Lake. Not sure which one it is. So I'm pretty sure we're going to hear some uh, some children splashing around. We might hear some, I don't know, owls or... Chipmunks. Ch- oh, chipmunks, yeah. We'd like to be chipmunks. A little bit of wind in the background. There's some wind, waves. That's true. With, a little bit of waves lapping relaxing. at the shore. With the sound of, uh, or with the size of the mosquitoes up here, we might actually hear, hear those yeah, as well. That's true. Um, so before we jump into talking about sports injuries today with Bjorn, um, there's been some big news that happened this week. We have like no internet connection, but I had just enough internet connection to tell me that Cam Newton signed with the New England Patriots. Right. So <laughs> I just wanted to take a second and talk about that news before we move on. Um, Sean, the question I had is... Um, I was wondering if Cam Newton may have been signed to be a backup. That's an interesting question because there's so much talk um, about about you know Jared Stidham and, and, and like a lot of I don't know bluster about how he was going to be great and awesome and and whatnot and they didn't need to sign anybody. The thing that I think is interesting about the signing, I don't think I always thought that was fake. So I think I think Cam's going to be your starter there. But I think what's interesting is, and this has been, I, I know Richard Sherman had an issue with this. Um, the uh, they signed him; they only guaranteed one, minimum, league veteran minimum like one million dollars. Uh, he's got incentives, I think, that get him up to about ten million bucks. But that's still a lot less than like uh, the dead-armed Philip Rivers got. So. I don't know what that means. I, I, I think what it means is they want to bring him into camp and see what they got. I mean, it's a great move for New England, in my opinion. I'm, you get a, a guy that they know can play football. He was the league MVP in 2015. Yeah, and they're paying him nothing. So they're paying him it's, nothing. It's a typically savvy New England Patriots move. I agree. Yeah. Uh, so the question that I, 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 I've thought about in my, you know, when I'm sitting in my hammock and thinking about things is how does this affect everybody else on the New England roster? Um, and uh, do you have any thoughts on that? I actually don't know that this moves the needle much for me for any of the offensive players. I, I see Stidham and Newton, as this is coming out of my mouth, that sounds kind of ludicrous, but, I mean, Newton's on the way down probably yep. in his career. Stidham is likely on the way up if he's got the skills that we're being told he has. Um, so not sure it moved the needle for me. So I looked at, I looked at some of Cam's stats and, you know, he's the, before last year, which was kind of a lost season, he was averaging about 3000 passing yards a year, a little more than that. Um, and, uh, he had, I think one year he had 750, uh, yards rushing another year, he had like basically 500. That reminds me a lot of Josh Allen, um, with with fewer touchdowns rushing similar passing numbers so that that can be a productive fantasy quarterback so if cam newton is your starter there he's a guy that you can definitely use as a starter because josh allen was a top 10 quarterback last year um but i don't think when you're talking about if you look if you think about um 
and similar passing numbers were also had by Sam Darnold, right? So if you start thinking about the Jets and the Bills passing offense and what what receivers could be supported with that kind of offense, I don't think we're looking at um, Nikhil Harry or um, Julian Edelman having particularly productive seasons if Cam Newton's your quarterback. Stidham actually was maybe a little more intriguing because you don't know what that is going to be. But I do think having you're more likely to have a consistent offense, so I've been thinking that it may be better for Sony because you, you have a guy who probably can move the ball downfield and get into goal line situations more, more uh, often. Cam has stolen a lot of touchdowns over the years in Carolina, but I don't know that he is still that guy. So, so that's kind of what I'm thinking about right there. Okay, well, let's jump into these injuries. If you've played fantasy football for any length of time, you've definitely heard about a running back getting an ACL injury. So, Bjorn, uh, first off, just briefly, what is an ACL? And then, you know, there's a couple of guys that are suffering from that injury right now, and just a couple examples are Rashad Penny and Darius Geis. Uh, what are the, what's the prognosis for guys like that? Well, so, I mean, if you think about what the, the ACL is, <clears throat> it stands for anterior cruciate ligament, right? So you got two of those in the middle of the knee, two ligaments that cross each other, kind of like an X that hold the femur to the tibia. And so when a guy is, um, you know, doing and, a cut. And for for the less inclined, sorry, less knowledgeable, that might be the, the, the hip upper bone leg connected bone to the shin to bone. To the lower leg bone, the shin bone. The hip bone yeah. is connected to the shin, shin yeah. bone. Okay, yeah, right. got it. No, the upper leg to the lower leg. Okay. Right? And um, you have two of them in each knee? There's an anterior and a posterior. Okay. Gotcha. And they cross each other in the middle and they uh, do, uh, they, they hold those two together really, along with another of other ligaments uh, around it. Um, but so when a guy, um, you know, makes a cut or, and tries to pivot on that leg, um, that's probably the, one of the most common times it'll happen or if they get tackled from the side. Um, and when you think about those injuries, there can be very isolated injury to the anterior cruciate ligament where that just tears. Pops. Um, and then there can you can have complex injuries where the whole sort of knee complex, all of the other ligaments that hold the knee together get damaged in the same process and maybe even the meniscus, which are the cushions that between those two MCL leg bones. Too? Pardon me? MCL. MCL, yeah. MCL LCL. Um, how I many, mean, there's only four. Uh, how many CLs are there? Um, well, so those are, <laughs> there's the, that's the uh, collateral ligament as right. opposed to the cruciate ligament. Okay. And it's oh. a cruciate ligament because they cross. All right, all right, gotcha. So anyhow, in any case, you can have like an isolated ACL or you can have like a complex ACL where it's ACL and a bunch of other stuff that gets in. What are we looking at? So historically, every... We're, we we do this podcast in Minnesota, and Adrian Peterson tore his ACL, recovered in like six months, and ran for two thousand yards. Yeah, that's not typical, is it? Not typical, but that's because he had that isolated injury. And okay. so, with an isolated injury, it's pretty easily repairable, and the rehab for it is very straightforward. And you've got all those other stabilizing ligaments that are still intact. Right. Whereas if uh, if it's another guy who jacks everything then the recovery is going to be way longer than six months. Or, or, or they sometimes don't come back. Like. Or they don't come back. So do you have a sense for Rashad Penny or Darius Geis? Are, do we have hope for them? Uh, well, I know Rashad Penny has, um, he's got a, a number of things that are injured, so his recovery is going to be longer. His you know road back is going to be longer and, and rougher. I mean, and, and maybe that's, less. Would would, would is is he prone to re-injuring that knee, or is he is it prone to just not ever being the same as he was beforehand? Yeah, <laughs> Both. that's the Both. that's the short. Well, so the general principle is that if you injure something once, you're more likely to injure it again because it's weaker. Nothing, you know, nothing is ever as good as your original parts. Right. <laughs> 
the parts you're put on the earth with, right? Yeah. So sometimes you see a guy who will tear an injury or tear an ACL on one leg, and then he tears the ACL on the other leg. Is that because uh, he's he's got ACLs that are more prone to tearing, or is that just because you do all the rehab on one leg and then the other leg is gets behind? Or do you that's know? actually very common with ACL injuries uh, because uh, oftentimes everybody. Uh, rehabs the ACL leg so much that it gets much stronger and then you injure the other one. <laughs> okay. So that's so if you've got a guy with an ACL injury, basically you're saying he might get another one. He, you're, he might be Terry Allen have, or, you know, have multiple. Or Darius Geis has already had, we've talked about him for the last two weeks. He's had, what, three knee surgeries already in, in uh, two years. Yeah. All right, we got a couple of hip fractures in the NFL right now. That hip are, issues, right? Well, I should say that. That's yeah. hip injuries. Um, uh, to a, oh, I love saying this name, Tungavailoa. Tungavailoa, yeah. Tungavailoa. Um, yes. Uh, has a hip dislocation, I believe. Maybe you can tell us more about that, Bjorn. Chris Carson uh, fractured his hip late last season. Um, I mean, <laughs> when I hear hip fracture, I'm like, I'm never playing football again if that happens to I, I, me. The, the thinking about a hip fracture just makes me shudder. Yeah. It sounds but, so painful. But what, So what can you tell us about that? Like, How are people able to come back from something like breaking a hip? Well, with any of these joints, you got to think about the fact that the joint is, there's a whole bunch of parts to the joint, and there are major parts and minor parts. And so... I, I love how you're dumbing it down for us. Thank you. No, but uh, there's things <laughs> no, I, that are essential to the function of the yes. joint, and then others where you're like, yeah, you know, that can operate suboptimally and you'll do just fine. Mm. So you can dislocate the hip, which is tough to do, especially if you think of the musculature that a NFL player has around their hip. Um, but that, you can. That just had to hurt so much. Oh, when yeah. That happened. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, and so you, and with that, you have all the muscle injury and the ligamentous injury that goes with that. Um, but you can dislocate that hip and re relocate it, and it's it is very rare in a young, healthy person for that to happen without a fracture. It mm. can happen without a fracture, but it's very rare because uh, their muscles are just so much tighter. An older person, it can happen because you can actually stretch those muscles; they're deconditioned, that kind of thing. So you can dislocate it and not have any injury, but the most common kind of thing that we see in football is that you have the back wall of the socket gets busted out. And we see that in the ER all the time with like car accidents where people are sitting and their their leg gets jammed backwards and it busts out the back wall of their is, hip socket. You, now do you know did that is that what happened with Dennis Pitta? Um, so Pitta, let me think, um, he actually got an injury of the ball as well. Okay. And that's where, um, his injury was worse. Whereas I believe Tua just dislocated and busted that back wall. Right. And so you can take that back wall and you can... And you can, you know, reform the socket. Okay. And, and, you know, provided the socket inside of the socket looks good and everything can can move pretty well uh you'll do okay um the other issue that happens when you dislocate is that there is a ligament that holds the ball into the socket the and um that's got uh blood vessels and nerves in it and and if that gets substantially injured like even with a just a dislocation if you you know yank that thing and you injure the blood vessel then that blood vessel goes away and the ball of the hip socket dies because it doesn't necrosis? have any blood this, flow. This is with the necrosis. This is the this is the avascular necrosis, meaning no vessel death is what that, that stands sounds for. Terrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, like that's what Bo Jackson had. Um, although they found his incidentally, they yeah. thought he had a hip sprain. Wow. If Bo Jackson got hurt today, do they, could they have done anything different? To no. Help them? No. You're, I mean, basically, again, uh, 
original parts are your yeah. best parts yeah. and yeah. so once that's and we don't have like a, a way to replace that blood vessel or, or you can do things to to help it potentially but uh you know you think of where it's sitting it's sitting between the ball and the socket try to do surgery in that area yeah mm-hmm. so uh you know, we're talking about real human beings here and so i don't want to take you know this lightly or anything but it is a fantasy football podcast People thinking about drafting Tua in rookie drafts, or maybe they already have, um, or maybe thinking about trading for Chris Carson or something like that. Would you would you feel comfortable, like, you know, like the long term prognosis for guys like that? Long term, I'd say NFL career wise, like if they're fifty, again, they're real human beings. We do care about them, but fantasy wise, you know, if 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 they can't walk when they're fifty. That's terrible, but it it's also not what we're thinking about here in terms of trying to figure out what we're doing. No, you want to know if they're going to have a career. Yeah, yeah. Could, could would you feel comfortable putting these guys on your team? Is ultimately the question. So you probably have. I mean, Pitta has said that he was concerned about whether Tua was going to have his injury, and mm-hmm. that's the tricky thing is that that injury is not going to show up for a little while, but. They, uh, there are scans you can do. You can look at that blood flow, and if and if it looks like it's got blood flow, you feel pretty confident that you know that thing's going to be okay. But there's still question marks about Tua. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be watching that. They're gonna be scanning that hip, you know, regularly. Yeah. Uh, do you have a an opinion on Chris Carson? Is he gonna come back from this? All I know about is that he apparently didn't need surgery didn't need any surgery so you got to feel like you know maybe he chipped a little something and and you know if he chips something and you don't need surgery then the odds are you're going to be able to work your way back from that so let me ask so that kind of transitions you chip something because i always hear when i read medical reports so and so like for example right now sony michelle he had he had a, a, a cleanup can like, i air quote that yeah you're recording like clean up in aisle six or clean up in your hip or clean up in your foot or clean up in whatever. What does it mean to clean something up? And, and is that is that really kind of, I mean, they didn't even operate in Chris Carson, so maybe they didn't even care. But I, I'm in my mind, I'm envisioning like loose particle, uh, particulates or particles of whatever, um, and someone goes in and just sucks them out. Is that really what it means to clean something up? For the most part, I mean, it's... Uh, it is what you would think it is. Basically, you have you still have debris. Maybe you got some ragged tissue that's still in there, that's catching. Uh, knees is uh, are, are I think fairly common for cleanups. Is it a, that, would that be a scope? Yeah, usually it'd be a, a, a non-invasive um, surgery where you just do a little scope in there, and then you can clean up a little bit of uh, you know. Uh, meniscus tissue that's kind of ragged and it could be catching, could be causing somebody some ongoing discomfort. Um, yeah. Now, is, and, that, and is that less of a concern? Is that when you, if you were to hear... I don't think it's inherently a concern when somebody has a cleanup. Um, but it also, it does mean that, hey, we did the, we did like the main surgery and now we got to go back in and make sure that there's not anything else that needs to be fixed. So a cleanup would uh, would always follow a, a different surgery. If you're hearing that your player got a cleanup, probably. Okay. Yeah, the vast majority of the time, it could be that they, you know, got a non-operative injury to their knee, for example, and uh, but they still had a something that was catching, and so they go in and they go, yeah, I cleaned up his meniscus a little bit. Yeah, I think Sony had surgery right before training camp last year, and then now. He has had a cleanup, and I don't know if it, I, I guess I don't. I felt like uh, I don't know if it's if it's, he had kind of a subpar year last year, and maybe he felt like someone was bugging him last year, and they would just go in and, and clean get, it up, clean, clean it up. It up. Yeah. So speaking of Sony Michelle, uh, another injury <laughs> that he's suffering yeah. from is a bone on bone condition, which also sounds just awful. Um, what can you tell us about bone on bone? And I think Sean, you maybe had some more specific questions about that. Well, so I feel like, and this is just I've been playing fantasy football for a lot of years, and I feel like they used to. Um, this is a thing that would, to me, would indicate that somebody's basically worn away all their 
cartilage, all their cushioning material in there. It's usually a knee. Um, and that, um, is that, I'm, I'm curious, is that a fair description of what's happening? So, and is it, is it a function issue or is it a pain issue? Meaning like you can just, do they take painkillers for it? Can they, can you play through that kind of a condition? Are you doing additional damage? And then, um, I also, I think they, I feel like they used to do things like microfracture surgery. And, uh, is that what they would do to try to cure a bone on bone condition? And, and, and I don't hear that so much anymore. So I'm wondering if, if that's a, a surgery that isn't really used anymore and do they have other ways of treating that condition? That's a lot. I, I just threw like so 10 that, questions at you. And the answer is yes, 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 and yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> uh, well, so what usually happens is that somebody uh, tears their meniscus, which is like the, the cushion mm -hmm. that is there, and then they wear through what's left of the meniscus, and then they start wearing through the cartilage, and then you get to that bone-on-bone -bone situation, and you get inflammation from just you know the, the, the constant grind, mm. and that's osteoarthritis. Um, and you can play through it. I mean, I'm sure that a large percentage of NFL players have, uh, played years through bone on bone conditions. And this wow. is probably why, I mean, people do hear about older former NFL players really struggling and walking. Yeah. And I'm guessing that that's been true for everybody for years. And we're just, we're just getting down into the medical aspect of it now, but that's been going on since the beginning of football. Absolutely. Well, I was, uh, I was at, um, an Atlanta game this last year and, um, uh, have a connection to one of the, uh, defensive linemen. And during the season, his knees get so traumatized during the season. He has a bed on the first floor of his house. Wow. And he just sleeps in that bed. He does not and this do is stairs. An NFL, NFL player. player in his uh, 20s. That's crazy. <laughs> so that is... during the season, he does not do any stairs. So what if, in this podcast, we're trying to talk about guys. It's Dynasty Podcast, but it is really focused on contracts. So we're thinking about a decision for a guy like Sony Michelle. If you hear he has a bone-on-bone -bone condition, would you say, okay, well, that that I'm not likely to get, give him a long contract or are, you, or are you thinking more along the lines of he's a football player. They all have things like this and they pretty much all last till they're about 30 and then they're done anyway. So, so is, is there a specific a issue that you should think should shorten your contract? Again, it's on tough to predict, but I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't think that it's inherently limiting. Like, you know, see how he's producing. Um, and whether that, if he's producing, then he may be able to deal fairly well with it. Um, is it a pain toleration it's issue? It's a pain, you know, it can be a function thing too, right? It's not smooth. I was going to talk about uh, microfracture oh, yeah. uh, surgery, and that's actually pretty common. So, you know, the reason you're probably not hearing about it is because it's not a, like, new fancy thing. It's not an edgy it's yeah. just it's just what you do every day. Yeah, we're into uh, sort of second generation, late second generation surgeries where now, rather than just doing the fractures uh, to cause uh, the microfractures to cause a blood clot that then allows for the formation of uh, a different kind of cartilage uh, that then allows you to not have bone on bone. Um, rather than just doing that now, there's all sorts of fancy things that you can put into that clot or into that defect to see if it'll heal even better and get you even better cartilage and better function. So these are these are all processes for creating um, lubrication in the knee, basically. Well, cartilage. cartilage, something between bone and bone, and so the but the cartilage that's formed is not the same again. Not an original part. Not an original part. Gotcha. And again, if you've been a, a fantasy football player or an F NFL fan for any length of time, we know concussions are a huge concern in the league and for the players. Um, I guess the question that I have personally is, 
it seems like some guys, I'm again, I'm going to air quotes, might be concussion prone. Um, is is the brain just more susceptible to injury? If it's had one concussion, you're more likely to get a second one. I mean, I, I look at for me, like I, I look back at past cases. Um, I drafted Javid Best as a rookie. He came into the league with a really scary looking concussion, and I knew that when I drafted him. And and then he had another bad concussion, and that was it for his career essentially. And um, and you people talk about some of these other guys that like Wes Welker. He played a long time, but he had a lot of concussions. And I guess the the player that I'm thinking about right now is Brandon Cooks. I I feel like Brandon Cooks is a player that has, like, um, at any point in time, he could just be gone. And um, one hit at this point in time. And is that fair? Or is he just kind of like every other guy? Well, I'll go back to my original point that uh, once your original parts are injured they're uh they're second best and that goes for the brain too you know so if you get a concussion you can come off that with some trouble you know with executive functioning you know memory um confusion headaches uh you know impulse behavior which might be a problem in the nfl more generally but (laughs) (laughs) no um no but you can have long-standing issues just from one concussion and so you add a second uh concussion on top of that um and and you can just compound it so you can think of it it's completely not at all the same as uh, a stroke but imagine if somebody had a mild stroke you'd go like oh they're prone to having a stroke um now the thing with a concussion is that pretty much everybody in the nfl is prone to having a concussion because they're playing in the nfl (laughs) right 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 this also goes to each injury besides the sort of original parts issue different people have different sort of resilience levels you know and that comes from a wide range of things um but some people are able to to um deal with their injuries way better than other people so you're saying brandon cook should just walk it off uh that's not at all (laughs) what i'm saying but uh, but different people recover better than others and that can come from that you know that can be your bodily makeup but that can also be like a disposition yeah so this is also another topic that's been in the news pretty lately and it's a topic we've mentioned on the show before uh, with Justin Bodie, he he has long uh, been I don't know fearful of the Jones fracture, um, and we've heard recently for wide receivers specifically. For, yes, we've heard recently Debo Samuel suffered a Jones fracture. Uh, a couple of rookies that are coming into into the league this year, and Brian Edwards and Van Jefferson have Jones fractures. Um, I know Bodie's not going to touch any of those guys. Um, I guess two questions for me is. Uh, should we be comfortable with guys who have suffered a Jones fracture, you know, putting them on our team long term? Um, and then two, why? What is the injury, and why is it? Why does it seem to affect receivers? Just because Justin's not here and he's done a good job, do you, can I go through some history and why he is so fearful the way he is? Mm-hmm. So Justin had drafted um, Hakeem Nix and Sammy Watkins, both who, of whom were productive and then had a Jones fracture and were never the same. Hakeem Nix just disappeared off the face of the earth, essentially, as soon as he had his Jones fracture. I drafted Devontae Parker, and he t- he comes up to me at the draft and says, boy, that's too bad you drafted Devontae Parker. I'm like, why? And he says, well, because he's, he's got this fifth metatarsal fracture, and if you, you know, he goes through that. He goes through Des Bryant, um, Julio Jones, although... Julio's been fine, obviously, but he goes through this, this, the, these, this list and says, "I just, I'm not, I'm not going to draft anybody with a with a Jones fracture." So I'm like, ah, Devante Parker will be just fine." And four years into it, he wasn't. And so I'm, I've always wondered, like, maybe it just took a long time to recover. Um, so I, when you were looking at Brian Edwards and Van Jefferson and Debo Samuel, who, who's very young and you're trying to figure out 
is this a long-term or, or reoccurring injury? Is this something that's going to slow development? That's kind of how I, the context that I'm looking at, at it. So the, the issue with the Jones fracture specifically, and you think about it for a running back. So there is, um, so what's a running back uh, or a wide receiver? Sorry, wide receiver, pardon me. Uh, what's a wide receiver need? Uh, they need to be good on their feet. Right? Stop they and start. Stop and start. And so what are elements of uh, your foot that you need for that? You need to be able to spring, right? And so you have the intrinsic sort of uh, arch of your foot, which is a which is like a spring. But you also be, need to be able to push off, right? And so you can – so you bend down to, to, to spring off your toes and that kind of thing. And the Jones fracture – um, is on that fifth bone, right? The, it's the, like your like pinky, pinky toe. Pinky toe your pinky bone. toe, but it's the it's the body of the pinky toe, not yeah. the toe part of the pinky toe. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And um, it's the very bottom of that, and that is attached to both the spring of the foot and to the peroneus brevis tendon, which helps, which is one of the tendons that you're going to use um, when you are. Um, flexing up and, and, uh, or, um, extending your foot downward to spring off it. Mm-hmm. And so those two actions pull the two pieces of bone apart so that they make it difficult to heal. Wow. Um, so you can have everything from like just a, a stress fracture to like a full on fracture. So there's different grades and they generally take a long time. You got to put somebody in a boot so that they're not actually flexing that foot at all. Um, but then you just think, think of the load that a wide receiver is going to put on that foot as soon as they're back to practice. Um, instantly. And instantly. And you've got, you know, this little bone that's less than a centimeter across that uh, is, taking all the strain of of that on it on the actual fracture so it and then the longer it takes to heal the more you're going to have chance of chronic pain trouble functioning so it, it sounds to me like it it is a serious it's something to consider seriously if you're talking about drafting a rookie with an injury like this absolutely it can but it as with all these other injuries, it's a matter of how they do with them. So even with like those, we were talking about concussions and somebody who's had a concussion before. Well, if he's done really well after a couple of concussions, I'd be like, well, this guy recovers from concussions. Right. So, so yeah, like Julio Jones, and you wouldn't necessarily so, so, have a lot. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. We haven't had a lot of issues with it. Yeah. I mean, I'm comfortable taking Julio Jones, but I might be a little scared off from Van Jefferson yeah. in a rookie draft. Exactly. The thing that those two have in common, however. I'm not trying to direct anybody, but Julio didn't even know he had it until he was getting evaluated at the combine. The same thing happened to Van. I'm not saying that those two players should be compared, but um, whereas Brian Edwards was a player that he he knew he had the injury, he injured it in a game. He knew he had it. If if a if a if a person is even unaware, like I think Julio ran like a four three eight forty on a broken foot on that broken foot and didn't even realize he had it so does that play into what you're saying in absolutely terms of if you, in if terms you, of could be a more minor injury or it could just be that he's kind of badass and can handle injuries okay i'll take that i feel like julio's kind of badass i wish he'd catch more touchdowns but yeah we all do but julio probably does too uh, sticking around in the, uh, the foot region, uh, Liz Frank injuries. We hear about those fairly often these days too. Alshon Jeffrey currently is recovering from that. Um, what is that? What is, what's that injury? So the, so we talked about toes and we talked about, uh, or I guess we haven't talked about toes, but we talked about like the, the body of that, uh, pinky toe mm-hmm. as opposed to the toe. Um, but then down from that you've got a bunch of bones uh that are called your tarsal bones and they look like little cubes so when you say down from that like towards the heel towards the heel from that you've got sorry pardon me um you've got uh a series of bones that all look like little 
you know, kind of curvy cubes that are all stuck together, and those are your tarsal bones. And so when you get a fracture between the the spot where the body of the first and the second toe and those cube bones articulate, you can get the ligament there can get torn, and that's a really tough ligament because you think about your your first toe is like your, the essential your, element of your, your big toe. Your big toe mm -hmm. is like the essential element of your foot. You think about your ball of your foot, you put so much weight on that, mm -hmm. that first toe matters. So where that first toe attaches to the rest of the foot is right there. That's like the crux of the foot. And so when that gets busted, that's a, it's a bad injury, um, but it's almost always uh, repaired. It's almost always surgically repaired with a pin or something. And when you think about the, the actual movement that happens there, there's almost none, right? So there's, uh, that's not, it's not a, uh, all of the other parts of the foot move around, move it. around a lot more, right? So if you put a pin in the Liz Franck injury, relatively speaking, somebody can run on it. They can do that probably a little easier than getting back on a on a Jones even because you that part of the foot is like the stable part of the foot. So if it's if you've just restabilized it with a screw, you haven't really changed it that much. So who's who is Liz Frank? Was what what was uh, she famous for? Uh, it's it's a last name. Oh, it's an old old school injury. Any anything named with an injury uh any injury with a name in it in medicine comes from you know 18th century the oldie times early 1900s the cure, was the cure bloodletting with uh leeches no, no not that old they just amputated and it is liz frank liz frank okay. yeah that's like one, one the, word one last name yeah got it i just i want to it's good to know how to pronounce things so you, so you sound smart. So you, sound, you can sound like you're more, more educated if you make it sound French. Exactly. All right. You guys ready to move on? Yeah. Um, so we, we're obviously, I don't need to say it, but it, just to introduce the next topic, we're living in the COVID pandemic, of course. Um, and again, you know, we're talking about human beings, but um, in, in terms of uh, football and covid what are some things maybe we want to keep in mind in terms, like, for example, Ezekiel Elliott has been diagnosed with COVID. Um, should owners of Ezekiel Elliott in a dynasty league worry about that? Is there going to be any long-term effects uh, from COVID for, for Elliott, or is that likely? I don't think we know. Um, and to hear Elliott tell it, he's doing just fine. Uh, although he did say that he was short of breath going upstairs. He did. Uh, but, uh, no, I. Um, so what do we know about COVID? We know that um, it can cause scarring in the lungs, which could be an issue long-term. That can limit your, you know, oxygen uh, capacity um, so that you don't function as well. So that would be the number one thing that I would be, you know, concerned about in any player. And that's actually probably long-term, easily testable. A team will probably be checking that out. Um, but I don't, I don't think we know some of the other complications. I mean, there's all sorts of things that are out there um, in terms of, you know, does it actually incite diabetes and things like that. But another kind of issue is um, the fact that it's tearing through uh, the African-American community in the United States in a huge way. And there's a large percentage of NFL players who are African-American. Um, so they might be just at higher risk simply because of who their community is. Um, and then as to the long-term uh, impacts and the things that predispose to that, I don't think we know enough at this point so it's going to be like some of these other injuries like Elliot says he's got it and he's doing fine and two weeks from now you see him you know uh doing sprints you would be like oh he's probably doing fine right but, uh, watch him yeah so this is kind of out there a little bit but it's one of those crazy things that we've heard of in the nfl at least one example with alex smith is a flesh-eating virus I know you're a medical researcher too, Bjorn. Maybe you have some information on that, or what? Like, what? What's going on there? Should I be buying Alex Smith? Yeah. 
I would I would hesitate. It depends on the price. Yeah, it always depends on the price, doesn't it? You should always. You should join a salary cap league. That yeah. is the oh, answer. A, that was the correct answer. So uh, Alex Smith, uh, he he's got a very interesting injury when you think about it. And it's actually flesh eating bacteria. Uh, oh, I would believe is the sensational news term for it. Mm. Okay. Um, That's a terrible name. It's a terrible name. It's We've terrible. already corrected. <laughs> what? And, a doctor. and and when you think about it, it could happen to just about any NFL player. Because uh, what is it? It's a it's a combination of bad bacteria that get in a wound, right? So anybody who sort of gets a wound on the playing field, and the fact if you get any dirt in there, like actual sort of soil and that kind and of thing. And he had a compound fracture. right? He had a compound fracture, and he got, he had like some dirty sock. In the fracture wound, like like a dirty NFL sock, a dirty NFL sock with like you know turf in it, turf and yeah, sweat, sweat and grime. everything. Other and players that got sweat. into the wound, and that's what caused his uh, horrendous infection that then progressed uh, through the different sort of parts compartments we call them of the leg, um, and is why he required so many surgeries. Um, and it's the kind of thing where, um, you know, civilians, regular folks, um, oftentimes may need to have something amputated in that situation. And the fact that his he still has his leg is amazing. And yeah. he's coming back. <laughs> Well, I'm which is I'm, I'm even look, more amazing. I'm looking at it and thinking Washington really struggled with Haskins last year for, for at least the first part and like god maybe Alex Smith would be I mean if he can play football if he can play football that might be a a, a boost for everybody in Washington. I just and they still have him under contract. So at least Washington seems to be indicating that they're going to give him a chance to come back. Yeah, um I'd have to take an, another look at his skills uh, and compare that to another look at his leg. Right. Um, so just to maybe kind of quick fire, or, or maybe not, depending, I guess, on what there is to say about it. We hear about injuries in season, and we'll, we'll end with this kind of a list of a few of these things. And I guess the question for these is, if you hear one of your guys diagnosed with an injury like this, what can you expect in terms of recovery time? Is that kind of what we were yeah, thinking, I mean, Sean? Yeah, I think, well, recovery time, but but is this maybe something that's like to linger and are you worried about the slump? Like I, the classic example from last year is Devontae Adams got turf toe and he, it seemed to just stick with him and he was basically out uh, for a month and a half um, and you know, then the question is, is is he going to come back? Is he going to be full strength? Or is he going to re-injure it? I know the answer is going to be something along the lines of if you injure a body part. <laughs> you don't have the original parts. The original yeah. parts, right. But I think about ankle sprains. Um, you've got a list. Yeah, you I'll just, list? I'll, well, you mentioned turf toe, and I was kind of curious about that. What is turf toe? And So turf toe is a tear in a ligament between the toe part of the big toe and the body of the big toe in the foot. Would that be the metatarsal? The metatarsal. All right. yes, which is which is a little up from the tarsal. Um, it's it's uh, it's actually more theoretical, which is why it's meta. Right. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. No. So, but that. But the Puns. thing about uh, uh, what's interesting uh, with any of these injuries too is there's this. You know, they say you got a hip fracture. Well, there's like you know. 20 kinds of hip fractures same thing even with turf toe you can totally tear that you can tear other ligaments in the toe um sometimes turf toe needs surgery mm -hmm. um and so it's always a an open question as to is it like little tear a lot of tear um but uh you know so so you have to do a lot of reading between the lines in all these reports like uh you know, so if someone says the sesamoid bone was fractured, which is like a little bone, sometimes that's at the base of the underneath that toe. Um, well, that could be a worse injury. 
but it's uh, trying to decipher these things from like the news reports of uh, of NFL injuries can be uh, can be tricky. So that turf toe, you just know it could be like uh, much more like that Jones than than just a sprain of the toe. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, another one that seems to linger during seasons is a like a pulled hamstring or a hamstring injury. Um, yeah, like, maybe the answer is the same. It, it depends. But what can you tell us about pulled hamstrings? Well, so interesting with the hamstrings, you think about what happens um, with the hamstring. Um, you've got tearing of those muscles in the back of the upper leg. And usually that's because the the actually the glutes are, uh, believe it or not, are that's not. That's the butt muscle, right? The butt muscle. That, yeah. Are are not uh, developed enough. Maximus. Yeah, are not developed <laughs> enough for um, for the amount of running that's done, the amount of force that's um, that's done there. And so, the thing with a hamstring injury then is that it's it indicates that there's stuff that's probably a little out of balance for the amount of force that's putting on being mm. put on the hamstring, right? So if somebody gets a hamstring injury. Um, there's more work to be done other than just healing the hamstring, right? You got to sort of address that imbalance. Strengthen something to be strengthen something else so that you're not putting as much stress on the hamstring. Okay, that's Um, interesting. So, but but as a as a muscle injury, you know, generally any of these injuries you can anticipate a month, six weeks uh, for just about anything, and then add on from there. Another one that's kind of dreaded to hear is if somebody has a high ankle sprain. Why is that? Hey, what's, what's the difference between a high and a mid and a low ankle sprain? And why is it worse? Or is that just what people just say because they want to make, be more specific? No, the, I mean, the high ankle sprain actually is a very different thing. So the the like a low ankle sprain is, is what we generally think of as an ankle sprain. Like if you sprain your ankle, you step wrong or whatever, and it swells up and you're like tough to walk on it um that's generally a low ankle sprain high ankle sprain is requires a lot of force so but between the two bones in the lower leg there's uh there's a uh, just the tibia and fibula the tibia and the fibula tibia is the big one fibula is the little one um between those two bones there's like a sheet of like extremely tough tissue tendon interosseous ligament is what it's called and that's a terrible name (laughs) (laughs) but so for a high ankle sprain is when that ligament as opposed to the ones on either side of the ankle when that ligament between those two bones is torn oh that sounds terrible right and the reason you know it's super tough like if you if you've ever seen it uh if you've ever if you actually you know, going into an anatomy class and like just pull on it, it'll be like, damn, that's t- <laughs> that's tough. But uh, so when you bust that, um, it, one, it takes a ton of force, which is why high ankle sprains um, you generally only hear about in athletes. Right. Um, but it also indicates that you had you know so much force that that tore from the ankle all the way up towards the knee, and so. Because it's holding those two bones together, you can actually get ankle issues and knee issues and leg issues. Mm. And so they usually will pin that to do wow. something as strong as the ligament. Wow. So that can be that can be a r- real rough uh, ride. So when, so when you pin it, though, does it, does it, do you have less mobility? Is this what, the, your original parts would have some flexibility, and the pin sounds like yeah, it would have no flexibility. Absolutely. Well, you know how much flexibility do those two bones need to have they don't actually need to pivot that much on each other a little bit but yeah um you're definitely going to have less flexibility there but that's that just tells you how strong that ligament is that to replace it you have to actually pin it you know the the overwhelming theme i'm i'm getting is this like we have no idea as mortal human beings the forces at play on an nfl field like Mm. things get injured that I cannot imagine ever outside of a car accident, right? These guys are going through a car accident every week. Yeah, well, like that, those hip fractures we were talking about, 
that's the primary thing we see those in is car car accidents. Oh my gosh, this is a brutal game. This podcast is going to make a lot of people kind of like squeamish. <laughs> uh, we don't necessarily have to go into this real far, but just I've heard of stingers and I don't know what those are. Yeah, what's a stinger? So, I mean, so what? Uh, what does it make you think of when you hear stinger? A bee. It hurts. So yeah, like a yeah, a like stinging a zzz, sensation. Right? Yeah. yeah, a yeah. quick Zap. sting, and that's exactly what it is. But it's from a uh, basically a neck, uh, either pinch on a nerve or a stretch of a nerve such that you get that sting that zing down the nerve so is it kind of like not not that it feels the same but like if you get the breath knocked out of you the wind knocked out of you you know you it's you just have to recover in a few minutes is it similar for a stinger yeah for the majority of stingers but again uh if you're taking a shot from the side on your neck um you've got a whole bunch of ligaments that are holding your neck bones together what if one of those gets torn? Um, again, original parts and all. Gotcha. Is, is, do you have to be concerned about somebody who's like, had a stinger that they're going to be going to have like a cervical issue or, or a neck issue that, that would risk paralysis by continuing to play and things like that? They have some, some issue that would lead them to be prone to a more serious spinal injury? Well, so the the things that I would think about would be if somebody, because you can ha- have weakness after a stinger, right? So if somebody's got ongoing weakness, um, and I don't know this for a fact, but I got to imagine that the team docs are looking at the stability of a neck and what's causing issues, you know, if you move it one way or another. And if there's any issues, they, they're getting an MRI, they're looking for ligament, uh, ligamentous injury. Um, so you're, you're probably going to hear about it. I don't think a stinger in and of itself, if somebody gets one, is going to make me say, yeah, that guy's prone. Um, I've had what I assume is a broken rib. It might have just been bruised, but I know it hurt to sneeze, it hurt to sleep, it hurt to laugh. And I've heard of guys playing with uh, bruised ribs for the, sure. The old flak jacket. Uh, flak jacket. Put a flak jacket on, right? Yeah, like, uh, is that is that just a pain tolerance thing again? Are they just way tougher than I am? Or, um, you know, are they yes. risking further <laughs> injury if they... <laughs> They for sure are tougher than I am. <laughs> Let's for be sure. honest. For sure. But uh, are they risking further injury if they play with that? Are they risking further injury? Well, let's see. Do you take any hits to the torso in the NFL? <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if they're bruised, um, are they more likely to, like, yes, it's going to hurt, but are they weaker than a typical rib? Well, it's... Uh, that is kind of tough to say because um, rib injuries can be difficult to diagnose as to if it's a hairline um, or even if it's an, a frank, I mean, a frank, nasty rib fracture, you're going to be able to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, and but, that's different from the, from a frank? Uh, uh, very injury. different. It is not a, it's not Liz's frank injury. Right. Um, but... Uh, no, so they're they're gonna be. Uh, you can have a range of things before that big nasty busted rib, and I don't I don't you know you would think a bruise might make it a little worse because a bruise might actually be a hairline fracture with some bleeding around it. Um, I don't know. It, it, rib injuries seem just like kind of par for the course. That seems like a a minor NFL injury, frankly, in the scheme of things. And it just. I put my life on hold for like two weeks. So. Well, I I didn't have that. I had I play hockey, or at least I used to play hockey, and I had a tiny little muscle in my rib cage got got pulled. Pulled, yeah. And um, I every single time I went and played hockey, my hockey night, deep breath, it, cough, it, it, I re-injured it, and I had to stop playing for like two months. I mean, and, and again, we four can to tell six weeks, NFL. any of these things. Yeah. And then the trouble with rib injuries is uh, that they can reactivate. You can just get like a cold and be coughing a bunch, you know, 10 years from now. And, and you're going to feel exactly where you had those fractures. Yeah. So imagine playing through a season. 
And what what I, actually is a bruised rib? Like, does it? It's a broken blood vessel. Well, or, you or? can have a bone bruise where the the bone actually took a hit and is kind of uh, the the actual structure of the bone's a little damaged on the outside. Like it it just got a little crushed and and it's got a little extra bleeding there. But again, I think there's probably a degree to which there's some hairline kinds of things that have that as well. And to be able to tell the one from the other is almost, uh, you, you, it, it's more work than it's worth. Yeah, you just pay attention to whether or not you can breathe and move, yeah. and then you're good, supposedly. So I have, I have just one other thing, because we did talk about COVID, and there's a lot of speculation about if there's going to be an NFL season. And we'll probably cover that on a different podcast, but... Um, what I'm wondering is, let's presume there is a season. Um, and if you hear a player is coming down with, has tested positive in the season, obviously they're not going to put them on the field with that. Um, do we have any, is there any consistency with regards to recovery time? Is there, when you hear somebody's tested positive, there's a lot of people who are asymptomatic or minimally sim- symptomatic. What would you envision that would mean in terms of that player returning to a team and a timeline? It's such a crapshoot at this point. <laughs> no, it, I, I wish I could tell you otherwise because I have um, I've put a uh, in the last several months. You know, I've put 27 year olds in the ICU and I've sent 27 year olds home. Uh, with COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't think we know enough about who's at risk. Um, we, we, you know, we think that if you've got more baseline illness, uh, you're at higher risk. And so then you'd think, oh, well, NFL players, uh, lower risk. But I don't, I don't think we know any of the other factors. And I don't think we have a consistent uh, recovery time. And even for those with mild cases, it can, it can still be a bear for a couple of weeks. And then if you're talking about actually playing the season in the NFL, um, let's say you do play the season, you put safeguards in place, locker rooms, etc. You do some testing and that kind of thing. The difficulty is going to be that if somebody tests positive, mm-hmm. then you've got a whole web of people who immediately, you have to quarantine and so it's it's going to be like playing the season with a uh uh just a sort of a random roll the dice minefield of potential call it injuries i mean i i we probably will cover this in a different podcast but i I envision something not unlike the 1987 i'm old the 1987 strike season where we had they had I'm air quoting scab players mm-hmm. coming in and nobody had ever heard of these people, but the potential I would, if you're going to continue to have games and suddenly on the, before kickoff you have, Oh, we had 15 players test positive. We're going to quarantine the entire team. Now we got to call the local flag football league, and get somebody to come in here and play. Right. I mean, that's essentially what happened in 87 and we might get our shots. We, still. <laughs> I still got a chance. <laughs> um, but I'm just curious if, if if you test positive, it doesn't mean you're you're symptomatic. But then is the is the general process is once somebody tests positive, they if they don't ever are never symptomatic, do they wait a certain amount of time and go back and get another test and and see if they're still positive? And then you tell them, well, you can go mingle with other people to the extent that we're we should be doing that now anyway. But um, how how do they figure when the end of the symptoms are, or the end of your course of being treated with COVID? So that has been changing, but uh, you know, when when it first started, we were testing people at the end of a course and making sure that they were negative. Now we've got people who um, come in, and it's very clear they've got COVID. And you test them, and simply because of the time in their course, they're negative uh, in terms of the tests that we have available. But they're having symptoms of COVID. You, you can look at them and you can say, you know, 
clinically this looks like COVID, but the test came back negative, so I'm going to say forget the test because I'm going to pay attention to who's in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started by testing people on the back end, and now, for example, with healthcare workers, we're just uh, sort of quarantining you for a period, and if uh, and once your uh, number of days past having any symptoms whatsoever, you're clear to come back. So it's not another test; it's just time. Not anymore. Be- yeah, okay. now it's just time post symptoms. Yeah. Bjorn, this was really interesting. Thank you for joining us today. It was a pleasure. I didn't hear a single woodpecker. No. Or chipmunk. No, and I feel like the beach behind us was really quiet too. It's not the not the brightest day right now, so maybe that's why. But oh, there's a raging a forest fire, breeze. and and everybody's cleared out. We're just left behind. Sorry, I'm being dark. We mi- we missed the alarm. Yeah. So uh, coming up next week, we have uh, an episode on year two players. Sometimes those rookies that don't do much in year one can be a really big value in yeah. uh, year two it's all they're also players that you might need to make some decisions on when it comes to contracts and salaries so we wanted to uh to just give you some information on that front in case you're in that position we'll see you next time see you thank you for listening to another episode of steel join our community on the steel pod facebook group and follow us on twitter at steel pod